All right, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 11 when you get there. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. He says in verse 11, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two, or twain, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Let's bow in prayer. God, we do thank You for the reading tonight, for the text that we have to look through. I ask just simply for Your guidance and direction that You would uh, speak through me and use this for Your honor and glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I preach expositorily, which just means I'm going verse by verse and um, and explaining what each verse means. But as I do that through the book, uh, sometimes I have to put little disclaimers out there. And, uh, and this is one of those sermons that I'm going to have to put a, a disclaimer out there, okay? Um, this is going to be uh, an uncomfortable sermon to preach. And uh, not that it's going to be a hard sermon or, or anything like that. It's just uncomfortable. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and preach this. I feel led to say uh, these things tonight. And so I just want you to uh, have the grace of God and the mercy of God uh, as you listen to this. And uh, let's, let's see if we can uh, cover this tonight. Let me first of all say that in light of many recent events that we have going on in the United States of America, I think that our message tonight is going to be fitting. Uh, because we need to know, number one, we need to know where we stand as a church on these things. And we need to know where we should stand on these things. And what I'm talking about tonight, of course, is uh, the issue of, of race. Now, like several of you, I grew up in the South. I know not everybody grew up in the South, but I did. Uh, I grew up in the Deep South. Uh, I was raised up in racial tension. I remember school-wide fights breaking out between uh, white people and black people for no other reason except for the fact that one side was white and one side was black in skin color. I remember the language and the derogatory things said on both sides, not just on one, but on both sides. I also remember it not making a lot of sense to me why we should look at someone and judge them and, and decide whether we're going to like them or not like them based simply on where they're from or what color their skin is. And even more than that, because of something that happened between our ancestors. 
I remember, of course, where I grew up, and, and even here, I think, when you bring up the subject of race, the first two things that comes up is the, uh, the white and the black issue. Um, but I, re- I even remember a, a kid getting mad at me at school, and he was yelling. I don't even know why he was mad at me. But he was yelling at me in school and everything. He said something about, you want me to go pick your cotton? And I said, I said, uh, I said my grandpa picked his own cotton. We never, we were always poor. We never had, we, we picked our own stuff, you know. So you don't have any reason to be mad at me, is what I told him. We, we were out there picking it with you. Um, but, you know, so, but I, I've seen so many and just so many stuff, just things brought up from the past, things brought up because of race and things like that. As an older teen, I had the privilege of getting to travel around uh, and my eyes were opened to even more of this issue of race. Uh, except I noticed that in some areas of the U.S., the object of racism uh, changed depending on what area you were in. And so in the Deep South, it was always that issue, that issue that we hear about all the time between black people and white people and, and all this tension and everything that's going on. But I, I went up to the Northwest, and guess what? Black people and white people got along great. You know who they didn't like? Sioux Indians. <laughs> and uh, if a Sioux Indian walked in, uh, you know, they, it was just, it, you know, it was bad. And, and, uh, and so I noticed that, I began noticing that the, it, the real issue was not race. The real issue was raising. The, the way that they were raised. Uh, what they were raised to believe, what they were taught, and, uh, and of course indoctrinated in uh, as they were growing up. We're trained to think and feel certain ways about others based simply upon skin color, language, nationality, and geography. I've seen the very same type of issue between two people of the same race. That it has nothing to do with, uh, with anything else but who their family is or what their name is, and they won't like each other. What opened my mind even more to the silliness of racism and discrimination is that the Bible has very little to say about color or ethnicity. Now, the Bible acknowledges that there are other nations, there are other, are other languages and dialects, but it does very little in putting a separation between those. Uh, in fact, the only hard distinction that I can find in the Bible that separates nations are the words Jew and Gentile. And if you'll look through the Bible with me, I think you'll find the exact same thing. The only hard line that's drawn is you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. Now, let me say that a different way. You're either a Jew or you're not a Jew. You're either from Israel or you're not from Israel. Israel is God's chosen nation, so you're either part of that nation or you weren't a part of that nation. You either worshiped the true living God or you didn't. And that's where the separation was really drawn as far as those hard lines. This, I believe, has much to do uh, with faith as it does nationality because we know that there were strangers that were welcomed into uh, the nation of Israel. They were welcomed into Judaism, but it was based upon not where they were from, but based upon their faith in the Lord. In fact, one of the most incredible love stories recorded is a marriage between Ruth and Boaz. You know that Ruth was a Moabite, Boaz was a Jewish man, a Hebrew man. But what made this marriage acceptable was the fact that Ruth had formally stated that their God would be her God and their people would be her people. That faith had brought her into the nation and acceptable as a part of that nation of Israel. Those Jewish people we find in the Bible were not forbidden to marry strangers. They were forbidden to marry idolaters. They were not to marry into idolatry or people that worshipped other gods. In fact, 
Um, I think one of the beauties uh, of the Bible story are those little places where we see God reaching out and welcoming the Gentiles. And for if for any moment we begin thinking uh, prideful of ourselves, we need to back up and thank God that he reached out to Gentile people. Because if he didn't, none of us in here would have any hope. Because as far as the the line of the Bible is drawn, none of us are Jews. All of us are Gentiles. Now this may sound like a strange subject to deal with in church, but that is exactly what Paul was addressing to the people at Ephesus when he wrote this. You see, the Jewish and Gentile believers in the early churches were often in rivalry with one another. They could not get along with each other because one were Jews and they thought they were better than the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews. And and so even though they were in church with one another, they couldn't get along with one another. It was always, uh, you know, cutting eyes at one another and looking up, you know, looking up and down at one another and things like that. And so he wrote this to address actually, I believe, the racial issues that were going on in the church at Ephesus. Paul reveals how silly these rivalries were because at the cross, Jesus completely abolished any segregation that had formerly existed. As a matter of fact, I'll make another statement here. I'm glad so many nice things were said about me before this message. (laughs) Desegregation didn't start in the 1950s and 1960s. Desegregation started at the cross of Christ, where He tore down the wall of separation between us and one another. I want you to think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, something that we already know about is the moment I believe that Jesus died, it says the veil in the temple was ripped in two. Y'all remember that? That veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, meaning that man could not have done it, that it had been done by God himself. So that veil, which was very thick, it would have been very hard for anybody to rip, all of a sudden it's ripped right down the middle and it opened away into the Holy of Holies. This says that at the same time, at the cross, at the very same time, another wall was taken down as well. And that was the wall that prevented Gentiles like you and me from being able to approach in closeness to God. That's what I want to look at tonight. Regardless of what racial issues we might have, or regardless of what what things may come up in our society or in in our nation or in, in the world, regardless of what that is, I want us to understand where we stand before God now because of what Christ did at the cross. I want us to look at three things in these verses tonight, and uh, I just ask you to follow along with me. First of all, uh, we see that that Jesus unified. Uh, Tonight, the the sermon title is One in Christ. And so I want to look at three different ways that we are one in Christ. First of all, we see in verses 11 through 13 that we are made one race. One race in verses 11 through 13. Now, just in case you disagree with me, let's go ahead and read these verses. It says, Wherefore, remember that at one time, in times past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. What does Gentile mean? It's talking about our nationality, who we are as far as ethnicity is concerned. He says, you were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, talking about the Jews. And so there had been a separation made between you. Uh, He's talking about the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in 
the world. Now, as with most of his speeches uh, in Ephesians, Paul moves us from the physical to the spiritual. And that's where the problem really lies. If you're at feud with any other race, with any other person, with any whatever it may be, if there's a feud between you and someone else just based simply on who they are, where they're from, then you are only thinking in the physical. And Paul says we need to move past that. We've got to get to the spiritual. We've got to go down a little bit deeper if we're going to really get to uh, the truth about this issue. He said to Gentile believers, remember that you were in times past, you were Gentiles, where? In the flesh. Talking about who they were physically. Now, had they changed physically, he said, I want you to notice this in verse 11. He says, you were at one time. What does that mean? You were at one time Gentiles in the flesh. Well, had they changed No, they hadn't changed physically, but something had happened. They had changed spiritually. And so now their identity is no longer wrapped up in who they are on the outside or what their skin color looks like or where they're from as far as nationality is concerned. But now their identity is completely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. They are traded their old identity for a new one in Christ. He says they were once called uncircumcised by those who were of the circumcision. This is talking about the Jewish people. The circumcision was a a token of evidence that you were a Jewish person. That is the fleshly circumcision done, as it says here, by physical hands, a physical circumcision. He says, and at that time, uh, you were without Christ. Look at verse 12. He says uh, that at that time you were without Christ. And without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in this world. Meaning that under the Old Testament, they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They were foreigners as far as the covenants and promises were concerned. They were hopeless and they were godless. Who? All Gentile people. That's you and me, brother, sister. All of us were. But now, having been saved by grace through faith, as we saw in verse 9 or 8 and 9, now having been saved by grace through faith, they were brought in together through the blood of Christ. Now look in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were, sometimes were far off, are now, what? Made nigh by the blood of Christ. In other words, I believe what he's saying here is we all may have had different pigments at one time. But now in Christ, we're all one color. We are red and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, it says that they used to be Jews and Gentiles. That was the separation. They were circumcised, not circumcised. Their identity was based upon physical things, yet now they had all been brought together in Christ. Now I want to show you, this isn't the only place that Paul spoke about this unifying work of Christ. Um, In Romans chapter 2 and verse 26 to 29, just listen to this. He says, if then the uncircumcision keeps the ordinances of the law, shall not his earned circumcision be counted for circumcision? And the uncircumcision, which is by nature, talking about physical, by nature, by birth, if it fulfills the law, shall I not judge you who through the letter and circumcision became transgressors of the law? 
For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. This is where I want you to listen. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew who, look at this, is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart. In spirit, not in letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, there was a separation. But in Christ, now, whether I'm a Jew in spirit, whether I'm a child of Abraham, has nothing to do with whether I'm a descendant directly of Abraham by birth, but it has to do with I'm a descendant of him by faith. So now it has nothing to do with my physical flesh. It has everything to do with my heart and whether or not I have been purified in heart. He also says in Romans 11, verses 24 to 25, he says, for if you were cut out of the natural wild olive tree, he's talking about grafting trees here. He says, if you were cut out of the natural wild olive trees, uh, Gentiles are called heathens in the Bible. And uh, probably that's very true to some of us, right? But they're called heathens in the Bible. Uh, they're called people who, are, of course, are idolaters. And so he says he likens them to wild olive trees and to, to the Israel as a tame olive tree. He says you were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, meaning, meaning Israel. How much more these being according to nature will be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brethren, lest you should be wise within yourself, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the nation has come in. Now what, Jesus, what uh, Paul is dealing with here, he's dealing with a problem between Jews and Gentiles at the church at Rome. They weren't getting along with each other. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? They couldn't get along with each other because the Jews thought they were superior because they were uh, of Abraham. And the Gentiles, of course, just got tired of them talking all the time, I'm sure. And so, you know, there was constant bickering, bickering between them. And so Paul begins to set out and teach them in Romans who they are in Christ. He's talking about their, how they were redeemed, how they are justified. And he says it's not by works of the flesh, but we're justified by faith. Okay, And then he begins talking about, as we saw in verse 2, that now we are all part of, I guess you could say, all part of one spiritual race in Christ. And that there is no separation between us spiritually. And so he, he then, he moves on. And in chapters 9 and 10 and 11, he starts dealing with Israel. Okay, So if Gentiles have all been brought into Christ, have all been brought into God through Christ, if the if the... If the ground has been made level at the foot of the cross, do we believe that? So if the ground has been made level at the foot of the cross, then what about the the Jewish people? That's going to be the question. I thought they were his chosen nation. And he says this about Israel. He says, first of all, in chapter 9, they still are his chosen nation. Chapter 10, he says, they have rejected as a whole, they have rejected Christ, but salvation comes not to who's Jew and who's Gentile, but it comes to whoever believes, confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus, believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then in verse 11, he says, so then, if you as Gentiles have been grafted into the tree of Israel, then you need to remember what tree you've been grafted into. And you don't push them away. You don't degrade them. You don't look down upon them. You just be thankful. 
And he says there in these verses that we're reading, he says, if we were grafted into the good tree, how much more shall they of that tree also be grafted in? In other words, God's not done with Israel, guys. He's not done with Israel. As a nation, He still has plans for them. He's still going to do something with them. That's why we need to make very sure. I don't like to get into politics. That's why this conversation uh, could, could almost be an iffy area here. But I don't like to get in politics. But I'm going to tell you, we need to, as a country, we need to stand behind Israel. And there are severe consequences we see in the Bible for not doing that. Now that's as far as them as a nation goes. But what Paul, the whole picture that Paul is painting here is that in Christ we've all been grafted into the same tree. We all have the same roots. Not physical roots, but spiritual roots. Meaning that you can physically be from other places. You can physically have different backgrounds. You can physically talk different languages. You can physically do this or different, uh, do that or whatever, maybe, whatever our differences are. But spiritually, we're all one in Christ. I remember when I was a teenager, I would uh, get to travel around different churches and preach. And I got a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, 16 years old, just got a driver's license. Man, I was driving everywhere. Which also meant I didn't have to study very much. I could just preach the same sermons at different places, you know. So it was a lot easier, a lot easier back then. One of the things that I did, I, I like to do this several places, is I would go to the store and I would buy a red apple and a green apple. And I would talk about these two different apples, how they look different, the skin is different, um, and, and just notice some of the different differences between the red apple and the green apple. Then I'd tell a story about two different people who also had different skin colors, so on and so forth. And I'd take a knife, and I would cut both apples right down the middle, and I would hold up the core. You know the core of those apples, regardless of what they look like or taste like, You know, the core of those apples look exactly the same. And I was trying to show that we're not dealing with issues of of physical things. We're dealing with issues of the heart. We're dealing with spiritual things. We need to be able to see past physical. We need to be able to care for the spiritual regardless of what's going on. Not only one race, but we see we've all been made into one man. Verses 14 through 18. Uh, let's go ahead and read those verses. He says in verse 14, which is the... No, not that. Verse 14 over here. says, For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, for to make in himself of twain, or in two, of two, one new man, so making peace. In other words, to take the two different ones. What were the two? Jew and Gentile. To take what was different, what was two, and now to make one of them. One man. By the way, I believe there is a reference here as he's talking about one man to one body. As a church, we are not Jew and Gentile. As a church, we are not this or that. As a church, we are one in Christ. We are part of one body in Christ. We see here that Jesus is our Peace. He is our reconciler. Jesus brought peace or reconciliation to us. Reconciliation means to resolve differences and to bring them back into a relationship with one another. By doing so, he brought down the dividing wall that was between, between us. Between who? Between Jews and Gentiles. 
at the temple, uh, when Jewish people went to worship, there were different courts, and only certain ones were allowed to enter into those different courts. Now, let me try to explain this in this way. Let's say that the sanctuary here is, is the temple itself, the temple building, okay? When you walk into the temple, there's actually an area here. Uh, this is called the holy place. And then there's a curtain. We're going to pretend that the uh, screen up there is a curtain. Of course, Jesus has already died, so uh, you know it's been, it's been done away with. But, okay, but imagine a curtain there. And so the curtain and then from back, that, back that, that way would be like the Holy of Holies. Okay, So this is the temple building, but there's a bigger temple area. That's not all that we have here. Uh, and so let's say that the foyer is the temple or the courtyard of women. And then the parking lot is the court of Gentiles. And that's pretty much how the temple area would have been set up, give or take a little few nuances. But basically what it was, only one person could go into the Holy of Holies. Who was that? The high priest, and he could only do that once a year. Only a certain group of people were allowed into this area of the temple, and that was who? The priests, right? The priests. Now, outside in the foyer, well, there was another area. So outside in the foyer area, we'll call that, uh, outside in the foyer is where the men, the Jewish men, were allowed to come up. They could bring their sacrifices and do different things. But only the Jewish men were allowed there. Then we'll say the fellowship hall, okay? And that's the court of the women, which means that Jewish women could also come into that area, but they couldn't go any further. So you see how they've been spaced further and further and further out. But then we'll go back out to the parking lot here. The parking lot or the court of Gentiles, any Gentile believer in God could come up. If they, they had to be Jewish. They had to have converted to Judaism through faith in God. But any, Jew, any Gentile person at all uh, who was a believer could go into that, uh, that court of the Gentiles. But let me tell you, they'd have to come to a gate. There was a wall and there was a gate. And they'd have to come to that gate before they could ever enter in to where the women were, and then the men, and then the temple. There were, there were all these spaces between them. And at that gate, at that wall, there was actually a sign there. I have a copy of that somewhere that says, basically, it says this, No Gentiles allowed. You know, do not trespass. And anyone who does that will suffer the consequences of doing so. So no Gentile person, that means you and me, would have been allowed to go through that gate, only Jewish people. And then Jewish women were allowed to come to one point, Jewish men, only priests in here, only the high priest there once a year. We got that all in our heads now? All right, hopefully. We'll see if that, we'll see if that works for us. But what this says is that when Jesus died on the cross, he broke down that wall that divided the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, there was no more wall that kept Gentiles from coming in close in a relationship, but that wall was torn down. Now, at the cross, that wall was not torn down physically, although the veil was. The veil was ripped from top to bottom. But that wall was not torn down physically until later when when the temple was destroyed. But it was torn down spiritually, giving access to any Jew or Gentile who believed to draw nigh to God through the blood of Christ. 
So Jesus abolished the separation between us that he might make us one new man. Look at verse 15 once again. It says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing ordinances, for us to, or for to make in himself of twain, or two, one new man, so making peace. Through the cross, he destroyed the racial hostility. That's what that word enmity means. He, he destroyed the hostility between us and unified us through the blood and through his spirit. Look at verse 16. It says, and that he might reconcile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Verse 17 says, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off, that's the Gentiles, and to them who were nigh, that's the Jews. He preached peace between them. And then look at verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. I tried the best that I could to picture this. And I'm going I'm to try to paint this picture for you. We know that the Holy of Holies is where the mercy seat was. That's where the high priest only could go in once a year. And that represented the very throne of God here on earth. This is how I view these verses to be then. Before the death of Christ, there were all these walls and all these laws that placed distance between us and God. Only certain were permitted to come close to the Father. And social status, race, bloodline, all those things played a part in how close you could come. In other words, had nothing to do with how you were as a person. You had to be a Levite to come in here and to minister It had to do with your blood. It had to do with your your bloodline, who you were akin to. And so all these things played a part. But I picture spiritually in my mind a mixed multitude standing afar off on crucifixion day. And that's us included. Spiritually, uh, we're there included as well. We are separated and distanced from God by all these walls and all these curtains that keep us away. But I want you to listen to this. When Christ died for sin, they all suddenly came crashing down. The wall for us Gentiles fell like the wall of Jericho. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And we all by faith came rushing through the throne of the Father on equal ground. Not as Jews and Gentiles. But as children. We were chosen. Elected. Predestined. Adopted. And equal heirs of God. How is that possible? Only through Christ. See, that's what His blood did. It it leveled the playing field. It brought us all to equal ground. No one stands higher than another. No race is better than another. No person is better than another. We are all equal. We are all one in Christ. Money has nothing to do with it. We're all one. Last thing, one building, verses 19 through 22. We find here that we're not strangers and foreigners anymore, but we are all fellow citizens and equal members of the household of God. Look at verse 19. It says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What is the household of God? My household is my family. I don't know about you. But now I'm an equal member of of the family of God along with any other person that believes in Jesus Christ. We are a unique and unified building that is built upon the foundation of faith. Look at verse 20. 
He says in verse 20, uh, let's see if I can find it. It says, they're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then he says that we are fitly framed and built together as a habitation of God. Verse 21, in whom the all building fitly formed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for inhabitation of God through what? The Spirit. Let's say that again. In whom ye also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Listen, when I look at our congregation each week, I want you to know this. I don't see white or black. I don't see Caucasian, Hispanic, Oriental, Middle Eastern. I don't ask myself, are they a Jew or are they a Gentile? Those questions don't even come to my mind. There's only one question in my mind when I see someone come in, and that is, are they in Christ? Do they know Jesus? Spiritually, are they a child of God? If they're not, they need to be. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what the background is. I don't care if they're addicted to drugs. I don't care if they're this or that. I don't care if they have money or they don't have money. I don't care what kind of, how much offering they can give to the church. I don't care about any of that. Are they a child of God? If they're not, they need to be very soon. If they are, then they're my brother or they're my sister in Christ. And that's it. You know why? Because at the cross, Christ brought down all those walls. We were built together as one in Him. You know, that's the church I want us to be. And it's the church I want us to be because I really believe that's the church God wants us to be. That we're not a church that's built on social status. We're not a church that's built on this or that. We're a church that's built solely upon the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. We're all part. We're fellow citizens. We're all part of the same household of faith through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know how much trouble I've gotten myself into this evening. But I hope that you've listened with ears of faith and that you've looked in God's Word and seen the same things that I have. Here's the thing. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of any of those things, Christ died for you just like He died for me. Just like He died for anyone else. Salvation is available to you just like it is to anyone else. The only thing that's lacking is your faith in Him. Can you trust Him tonight for salvation? Not your religion, not your works, not yourself. Can you trust Him for salvation tonight? If you're a child of God here this evening and you've heard what has been said and God has moved in any way in your heart, and I pray that you'd listen to what he says and that you'd follow accordingly. We're going to have.